0: rahim uh, Today the topic, why do we need to believe in a God? Uh, of course some people will question this topic saying that uh, in fact why do we need to believe in a God? Meaning the very definition of God, the term God in itself is too broad to be defined in a narrow manner. Now The reason being that there are so many gods to choose from. So the common objection to this uh, belief in God is that there are numerous religions that claim to have a monopoly of the correct concept of God Almighty. But what God do we intend by saying when the subject being, why do we need to believe in a God, what type of God do we mean? Of course, before entering into this subject, we must firstly remove any shackles of a religious bias or a cultural bias or even an atheist bias, meaning the subjects, the inception of the subject is entering the subject from a totally unbiased perspective, whether that is an Islamic bias or anything else, that a human being who is born in a natural habitat, would he or she conclude that, in fact, there is an eternal cause for the universe. Now, I use the term eternal cause but the term God in itself can be used in numerous ways. For instance, when we say God or a Godling or Godman or Godwoman, this makes the term God very broad. When having a discourse on this subject, I would use the term God in the very narrow sense of a cause for the universe. That is there a cause for the universe that is eternal, not caused in itself, meaning a cause that is self-sufficient, not dependent on anything else, all-powerful and all-knowing. And in monotheistic faiths, this would be termed as God Almighty. So this is the, the exact meaning of God which is intended by this discourse today. Any other meanings of God, if we have uh, the concept of God being a man located in a cloud, uh, or Zeus, or anyone else, uh, Olympian gods, Greek gods, all of these concepts must be dismissed. So, when we say a God, the meaning of God entailed by this discourse would be a cause for the universe that is all-powerful and all-knowing. Is there a cause for this universe that is all powerful and all knowing? That in Western uh, discourse they refer to as God, even though the word God in itself is from Farsi, from Persian language, from Khuda. The word Khuda is also in a reference to God Almighty. But the, w- the word itself, being from Khuda, God, is used in a broad sense because the Persians, some of them would even worship the fire. Why would they worship fire? Because they believed uh, fire was a source of life or fire was a powerful um, uh, entity that they uh, worshipped. Likewise, some of them believed in two gods, the god of good and the god of evil, meaning the god that creates good and the god that creates evil. But the intended purpose of stating god is not any god of any specific religion because And this is why it's important to remove any shackles of a religious background or a cultural background or an atheist background or even an agnostic background meaning when we enter and delve into this subject we cannot look at the the acts of the church in the middle ages during the middle ages the the church in england and throughout europe had a specific role Uh, with regard to religion as well as its attitude towards science and this has developed certain biases in in the Western mind especially uh, with regard to religion while in the Muslim world the Muslims never faced a persecution of science there was never a persecution of scientists in the Muslim world in fact science flourished especially in the first 300 years after the Arabian conquest, meaning when the Arabs were more religious, science flourished in the first 300 years and even after. So science never faced a persecution due to Islam. But once uh, the colonialist powers entered the Muslim world, certain concepts may have entered regarding religion, that religion, is something that circumvents the progress of science while prior to the colonialist period uh, Muslims if you read literature muslim literature arabic literature you will find that muslims uh, scholarship islamic scholarship never had the attitude that science is circumvented by religion or science is something that uh, is uh, anti uh, religion anti islam more specifically so People from different cultural backgrounds will have different type of baggage with regard to the term God. When the word God is used, someone from a Hindu background may conceive of a spirit that indwells in an idol. Uh, Someone from a Christian background will think of uh, Jesus Christ, a man who lived in Nazareth and uh, in Christian theology was crucified and uh, placed on a cross and died for the sins of mankind. Likewise, in Judaism, there is more in the Old Testament, there is more of an anthropomorphic concept of a God, meaning uh, a God that has attributes that are manlike. So these are concepts which are uh, held in the minds of many people due to cultural baggage. So when we enter the topic, we must think of ourselves that if a person wakes up at a train station, After having gone to sleep in his bedroom, he wakes up in a train station and he sees himself in a train station and there is a train and there are people queuing up to board the train. He will think to himself, how did I get here? How did I get from my bedroom to this train station? He will have some ideas like the fact that someone may have taken him from his bedroom and placed him in the train station. meaning. This is what some will call the causative principle, that there is a cause for everything that occurs. Some will deny this, that there there are causes for everything. Some people may uh, uh, deny that there are actual causes for everything. But the reality is that the way the human mind thinks is that anything that is observable in the known universe will have a cause. So, when people start observing the known universe, they will realize from observing the known universe... That everything that is moving in the universe and everything that is changing within the universe will have one of three Conclusions meaning the conclusions that we may reach that the the cause of the universe is one of three things Either this universe and everything around us came from nothing meaning and this is of course This is an agenda pursued by certain scientists in order to prove that the universe came out of nothing. This is one conclusion that the human mind can reach. Likewise, the second conclusion is that the universe is eternal and self-caused, meaning eternally that we observe the universe uh, changing over time, and this universe that changes over time has always existed existed, and is dead and it's a brute fact. The third conclusion would be that this universe has been caused. Now, this third conclusion is the conclusion that would lead someone to stating that there is a God. This third conclusion that the universe is caused. But by saying the universe is caused, some have devised what they call the multiverse theory by saying that the universe is one of many universes that has been caused in what they uh, propose as being the multiverse that within a complex system known as the multiverse uh, this universe has been formed but this would lead to circular reasoning which would entail that the multiverse itself would need a cause why would it need a cause there is something uh, something which is observably contingent And what i mean by the term contingent because sometimes people may use a specific word but intend a different meaning what i mean by saying contingent is that which has come into existence after non-existence so what we observe in the known universe are multiple things that did not exist and they come into existence so a multiverse would be something that is bringing things into existence but the conclusion of observing those things which are contingent would be that anything that had no prior existence and came into existence would be something that is not self-caused because the very nature of those contingent things is that they are dependent on something else so if we say that the known universe is a cause of a multiverse that would lead us to the conclusion that the multiverse itself would need a cause also and the multiverse the cause that would have caused the multiverse would also need a cause and this would lead to something which is a regression now some people they will say that a regression is possible but what i would propose is that a regression of contingent things would be impossible why because if we say a regression of contingent things is possible that would entail something that is not self-subsistent something is that is not independent is continuing ad infinitum to no end and there is no real cause for those things which are uh, not independent in the first place this would be like saying if we count numbers backwards we would have to reach the number one now prior to number one there would be nothing So the conclusion would be that number one is the first number after number one there is number two and number three the cardinal numbers there would be number four without the the main number which is number one all the additional numbers would not exist so by saying that the known universe the observable universe is something that continuously regresses and the contingents in the known universe are something that continuously regress. We are stating, in fact, fact, that these things are coming into existence by themselves, and this would lead to a logical absurdity, meaning continuous regression. We would have to stop at some point, and that point would be that the cause of the universe, the originator of the universe, is a self-sufficient cause, and this is what monotheistic religions would, would term as being God Almighty, or people can give different names to this cause. This, of course, if we conclude that there is a cause of the, a, a, an eternal cause for the universe, a, un, a cause that is self-sufficient, self-subsistent, this cause of the universe, some religions would give that cause anthropomorphic, Attributes. Other religions would give an image, and this is where the atheist would bring up an objection that how do we determine amongst all these different religions which religion is correct and which God is correct? Of course, at the beginning, I said that we should not constrain ourselves with religious bias when discussing uh, why I should believe in a God, meaning why I should believe. In a cause for the universe that is self-sufficient this any human being with a mind would know or would conclude that there is a cause for the universe that is self-sufficient and eternal why why would we conclude that this uh, cause for the universe is eternal the reason being that if the cause for the universe was not eternal then that would entail that that cause also has a cause and then that cause that has caused the uh, cause of the universe would also have a cause and this would continue with no with uh, with a regression which would be a logical absurdity so the conclusion that there is a cause for the universe now has many objections of course a person can conclude that there is a cause for the observable universe that there is a change in the universe and this change that occurs in the universe and the soul that the person has and the mind that the person has as a cause. when they come to this conclusion the additional objections revolve around uh, a few things some of them regarding religion specifically and some of those objections regarding life in general meaning human life how do we ascribe to this cause, this eternal cause for the universe. And of course, there would be additional attributes that we would acknowledge for this cause. The additional attributes would be that the cause is eternal as well as all powerful. Because if the cause was not powerful, then that would mean that the universe that we observe has been caused by something powerless. Which is absurd. So the cause would have to be powerful. Additional to that, the, the cause of the universe would have to have a will. If we did not ascribe a will to that cause of the universe, that would entail that everything is coming into existence without the will of that cause and that would entail powerlessness of that cause. That would entail that the cause is powerless. So this would mean that the cause is, is, uh, does have a will. Additional to that we would say that the cause has knowledge because if we say the cause of the universe does not have We do not ascribe knowledge that would entail that the one who has brought the universe into existence Is ignorant and anyone who's ignorant would be unable to cause the universe these are additional attributes that we would infer with or deduce with our minds but the objections on these attributes mean the first attribute the attribute of existence of a uh, div- of an originator of the universe the second attribute eternality that the cause would have to be inter- eternal because if the cause was not eternal this would mean that the cause is contingent and if the cause was contingent then that would lead to regression and regression is a rational impossibility the third being that the cause is all-powerful the fourth being that the cause has a will, and the fifth being that the cause has knowledge, meaning uh, divine knowledge of everything. These attributes that we affirm, the objections that are mentioned, one of them would revolve around the problem of evil, that if there is an originator for the universe, then why? Firstly, why are there imperfections in the universe or perceived imperfections? Meaning, this is an objection that if this cause of the universe has knowledge that is perfect and has a will, why has he willed for imperfections in the universe? Or what we would say perceived imperfections? The response to this would be that the perceived imperfections that we observe in the universe, some of them may actually not be imperfections. An example of this is vestigial organs. A hundred years ago, those who ascribed to uh, the old Darwinian uh, theory of evolution, meaning not the updated uh, evolution that we are taught today, uh, the old Darwinian evolution, they had listed over 70 vestigial organs. Meaning, if you do a check, you'll be able to find a list of all the vestigial organs. Vestigial organs are those organs that have no apparent uh, function in the human body but are residue or remnants of human evolution or previous human evolution this is a a claim made by uh, Darwinists those 70 plus organs that were claimed to have been vestigial organs have now been reduced to one meaning in the entire body they were organs that biologists at that time did not know what is the function of this organ But after the development of science and medicine in the past 100 years, they have concluded that those 70-plus organs are in fact not vestigial, they have a function, and there may only be one, the appendix, uh, uh, that remains as uh, what they consider as being vestigial. In fact, even the appendix has a use, meaning there is a medical use for the appendix. But the initial conclusion was that these organs have no use but now that opinion has changed so the similitude of those people who observe the universe and say there, there are apparent uh, things in the universe that have no function their similitude is the similitude of a person who enters a room and observes everything in the room meaning observes the walls the ceiling the lights everything as a function uh, desks tables and chairs but then sees a nail that is in the wall and concludes that this nail has no function therefore the entire room has not been designed and created why because he has found some imperfection this is the similitude of those who when observing the universe they observe everything but they will find some things that they cannot understand or do not understand the specific function of those things and conclude, therefore, the universe is not fine tuned. The universe is not fine tuned by someone who has power and uh, knowledge and a will. Therefore, they would conclude that the universe has no divine cause or an originator for this universe. So, this objection. Also falls apart regarding the perceived imperfections. But of course, from a scriptural point of view, and remember, we have rational theology, which is uh, the theological conclusions purely from the rational point, point of view, without any reference to a scripture. And then we have scriptural uh, theology, which is in, in reference to a scripture, whether that scripture is the Bible or the Quran or any other work. The theological response to that objection that why are there imperfections in the universe would also be that if the universe was a perfect place and there were no imperfections in this universe, a person at the time of death would not want to leave this universe and to meet his divine creator. So God Almighty created within the universe certain imperfections that people do not become attached to the universe that we observe because if they were attached at The time of death if their life was perfect. They had no problems in their lives They would be so attached to this worldly life that they would not want to leave and meet God Almighty additional to that if human beings were not given imperfections in their lives then meaning if there ever existed a human being with no headache with no illness and with no imperfection, you would have the most arrogant human being who, in some cases, would claim himself to be God Almighty, the likes of Pharaoh, Fir'aun. Pharaoh, the the Pharaoh of the, the Exodus in the Bible and in the Qur'an, Pharaoh claimed divinity for himself. But what they state regarding Pharaoh was that in his long life, some of them say, It may have been Ramesses the second who lived over 70 years in his life he never experienced illness he never experienced hardship except on the odd occasions and this led him to claim divinity for himself so if God Almighty did not create imperfections in the life of humanity in the lifespans of every human being then human beings would claim for themselves divinity in some case but even worse they would oppress one another, meaning they oppress one another irrelevant to having uh, problems in this life. So if they had no problems whatsoever, they would be convinced of their own divinity, meaning also with the brilliance that human beings have been given. And this is why the book, uh, the religious revelations are not books of science. This is why books of revelation are not books of science, because human brilliance is sufficient to uncover scientific facts but with regard to human brilliance even though human beings have been given these talents with these talents if human beings had no problems meaning they were human beings are able to time different predators and are able to carry out feats of knowledge if they did not have certain weaknesses like uh, curing malaria or dealing with mosquitoes simple things small things human beings would not have an iota of humbleness and with that humility there is arrogance and when there is arrogance there is oppression so this is why there are sometimes some imperfections that are found in human life of course uh, this answer there 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 is more of a detailed response also if we observe the perfections in human life and the fact that there are, very rarely there are earthquakes occurring on earth, meaning if you, if you count the number of earthquakes and how many times there are no earthquakes on earth, you will realize that earthquakes are minuscule in, in comparison to the time when there are no earthquakes on earth. That would mean that for the majority of the time, the majority of mankind is not facing a problem of evil or imperfections in the world. There are occasions where they face poverty or imperfections, but even those imperfections are there because, in order that we do not become attached to this worldly life, this is one uh, response. But even that response would, n- even if someone is not satisfied with that response, that would not entail that there is no originator of the universe. Meaning, in Islam god almighty has numerous attributes meaning uh, there is a common objection people have which is if god is all loving and all caring then why is why are there problems on earth why do people face difficulties the response to that is that the quran meaning from a muslim perspective if we look at it from a scriptural point of view the quran does not only ascribe the attribute of merciful to Allah meaning the god that exists in the known universe does not only have those attributes there are multiple attributes from amongst those attributes is al Mudhil, the one who disgraces it, there is also al-muizz al-muizz is the one who gives honor so the objection this objection that there are imperfections in the known universe therefore there is no god does this follow does this reasoning follow That because there are objections in the known universe, uh, there are imperfections in the known universe, therefore there is no God. The question is, does this reasoning follow? The answer is no. Because even if we say, there are imperfections in the universe, that does not conclude that there is no originator for the universe. The conclusion that there is an originator for the universe would remain. Meaning this objection in itself does not do away uh, with the... The uh, fact that there is an originator. Ad- additional to that, other questions which are commonly br- brought up are regarding r- religion itself. That if there is an originator for the universe and we ad- we acknowledge that there is a god, once we acknowledge that there is an originator for the universe and that there is a god, why do we need to subscribe to a religion? But Again, the, the objector would also say that from all these multiple religions, which one do we choose from? Of course, in Islam, the response would be La ikraha fi There is no compulsion in religion. And because there is no <coughs> compulsion in religion, people have a choice of reading the scriptures uh, of various religions and making their own choice. Uh, of which religion they choose to follow because the religion of Islam says, La fi there is no compulsion in religion. But the topic at hand is whether there is a God or not. The, the response would be that if a person looks at this subject purely from reason, they would conclude that there is an originator for the universe. The questions revolving around death and the afterlife would we be able to conclude what occurs? In death and afterlife purely from reason, the answer is no. We can conclude from reasoning and rationality that there is a God, but we cannot, there are numerous things that we cannot conclude with our minds alone. And one of those things is whether there is an afterlife. Uh, Additional to that, what occurs in the afterlife? Where do we attain those beliefs from? As Muslims, Muslims would attain that from the Quran, Christians would from the Bible. And other religions from their religious texts but the additional questions regarding the meaning of life as to what is the actual meaning of life and what occurs in thereafter is beyond the scope of this subject this subject is purely is there a god the answer would be in order to sum up what i have mentioned the answer would be that what do you mean by god if you mean an originator for the universe the answer is yes if you mean an anthropomorphic God meaning a God that resembles the universe and creation the answer would be no Why would the answer be no? Because if God resembled his creation or an originator resemble anything in the known universe this would entail a Contingent nature and anything that has a contingent nature would also have a cause and that would lead to regress so therefore What we mean specifically by the term God, if we mean an originator for the universe that is eternal, the response would be, yes, there is a God, but if you mean, is there a God that bears resemblance to creation and a God that is contingent or a God that is the fantasy of the human mind, a fantasy, not rationally uh, deduced, the answer would be, there is no such type of God. So this would be the conclusion of the question, and the additional questions, of course, would be something which uh, would we, uh, I would respond to in the questions and answers session. You can open up the floor for questions and answers.
1: Uh, I'm just asking this for a friend. Um, so the question is, if God puts imper- imperfections to test us, people are dying every day,
0: did God put death as an imperfection?
1: That's the first question.
0: Uh, The response to that question that if uh, God has created death, is death an imperfection? The answer is no. Death is a journey, the soul's journey from one realm to another. So death in itself is not a bad thing. Death is the soul's journey from one realm to another.
2: So going back to before when you were justifying why God had to have the attributes of being all... Powerful. You said if God isn't all powerful, that would imply that He's powerless. Why is that exactly?
0: If you say X is powerful, that would entail that He is not powerless. And if you say yes, but you, you didn't say, is powerful. say you said all powerful, if you say uh, X is not powerful, that would mean He's powerless. Yes, even if you remove the term all. So whether we use the term powerful or all powerful they that if
2: you surely?
0: Um, it depends. If you mean by all-powerful, what I would mean by all-powerful is doing that which is within the realm of rational possibility. Doing that which is within the realm of rational possibility. That is all-powerful. Not doing that which is uh, rationally impossible. So if you ask the question, can God create a boulder so huge that He Himself cannot pick up the boulder the answer to that would be that's a rational impossibility, because the questioner is asking, in effect, that can God Almighty make Himself powerless? And the response would be no. So what I mean by that is doing that which falls under the realm of rationally possible. Hi,
3: I have a question. Um, if we ask that God, uh, Allah is um. Um, I mean, um, merciful. So why do we get put into extreme
0: hardships, which sometimes revol- uh, result in like, mental health issues that lead to suicide? Okay, here, uh, w- what I mentioned also was that he does not only have the attribute of all merciful, he has other attributes also. As for the specific problem you've mentioned, which is mental health issues where a person commits suicide, such a person, in the hereafter would not be questioned regarding his action in fact such a person would be forgiven for any wrong undertakings they may have done under mental health problems but the question itself doesn't do away with the fact that there is an originator for the universe meaning the subject of today is that there is a is there an god the answer is your question does not negate the fact that there is a cause for the universe your question would be an extension To the discussion which would be does god have other attributes additional to being all merciful and the answer is yes god is the one like in the quran it states that he is the one who makes people ill and he is the one who cures them so why does god make illnesses in people the response would be that when he creates an illness in certain types of people this is not uh, a universal application, but in specific cases, with those people, sometimes that specific person will not realize his own innate neediness of God. And if that illness it was never created, they would never turn to Him. So sometimes an illness can be created within someone that they turn to Allah, they turn to Him, because there are some people who turn away from Him that Allah creates within their lives certain types of things that may turn, make them turn to him, which will is better for them in the long run. But um, Why would Allah put an
3: answer within a person just so that, that person would turn to
0: him if we are believers of God? Uh, the answer is um, that that would not be the only reason. In, that is, this is why I said this is not a universal rule. This is one specific way of looking at the question. There are other ways of looking at the same question. For instance, a certain person, if he did not have that specific illness, he may do X, Y, and Z, which would not benefit him. For instance, there's a man who has strength. With his strength, he can go and do different acts of oppression. So in some cases, he is made weak due to an illness. When he is made ill, he thinks this illness is bad, God has created this illness in me, this is a bad thing. But in the long run that illness is good for him why because if he was not ill and he was strong he would go and cause oppression among certain people this is one way of answering that question but there are numerous ways of answering the same question which that question can uh, the answer could be unique to each case so each person may have a unique case and reality which they only know And that is where the communication with God comes in, meaning they must communicate within themselves, with God Almighty.
2: So, going back to the all-powerful question, you said that being all-powerful would be being able to do anything that's rationally possible. Surely, to be the originator of the universe, God only had to do one thing which was rationally possible, which was initiate the universe. Requiring that he be all-powerful and be able to do anything else that's rationally possible surely implies that you're talking about the God that continues to intervene, which would go against the removing any religious or cultural bias in the question.
0: So, your, your question, you'll have to reword your question. Are you saying if God is all-powerful, that would mean he should remove religious and cultural bias within people? Is that your question? No,
2: so I'm saying you said that God has to be all-powerful because he has to be able to do anything that's rationally possible. But in order to be the originator of the universe, which is what you define God to be, he only has to be able to do the one thing, which is to initiate the universe. So requiring him to be able to do anything else is talking not about a God that simply is the originator of the universe, but a God that continues to intervene in the universe. So,
0: in effect, we're saying... That God originated the universe and then left the universe to its own devices. Meaning that would still mean he's all-powerful. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying
2: he wouldn't have to be all-powerful to have created the universe and and then left it to his own devices. Requiring him to be all-powerful surely implies that you're talking about the specific interpretation of a theistic God that continues to intervene in the universe.
0: Okay, if we took your conclusion that having created the universe... And he left the universe that does not imply that he is all-powerful That's it doesn't it doesn't require him to be all it doesn't inqu- it doesn't require him to be all-powerful that would then entail that the universe and everything that occurs within the universe is from our own selves and our own volition meaning if I do an action any action do I create my own actions or is there someone else creating my own actions everything that is occurring is by our own creating. Meaning, would we say, when I pick up this bottle, I am creating this, or the universe is creating this?
2: I think certainly you're creating that action, but other actions can just be the result of the laws of the universe. So,
0: in effect you're saying, when I pick up this bottle, I am creating this, that would entail that I am powerful over. This bottle and I have certain limitations of my power and you're saying God Almighty then does not need to be uh, all-powerful because he created the universe and he left the universe to its own devices the response to your objection would be that the observable universe is contingent in its very nature and anything that's contingent is dependent on something external anything that is contingent is dependent on something external Therefore, the entire universe is dependent on something external. And the only external thing that we would say it is dependent on is the originator of the universe. Yes, but
2: the universe is mostly governed by fundamental
0: laws and the fundamental constants, the behaviour of the universe is mostly... Even those fundamental laws, those laws are very limited in their scope. meaning. Even until today, the the scientists cannot even make compatibility between relativity and quantum physics. Meaning quantum physics is very limited in its scope and relativity uh, is limited in its scope. Any scientific law you're going to pinpoint is not necessarily applicable in the entire known universe. Even the laws are very limited.
2: Okay.
1: I want to ask. Um, so, some people say um, that okay, you know how you mentioned that science often complements religion, especially Islam. Um, I don't know too much about science, but some people say people can be born uh, homosexual. So, why would God create someone in the state of
4: sin?
0: Okay. See, the question here is, firstly, regarding a law, a law which is found in Islam, that practicing homosexuality is prohibited, so the question would be, why would God create someone as a homosexual and then prohibit them from doing such a thing. These are two uh, distinct things, firstly the law, whether the law is correct or not, we would say the law is correct because Islamic law, we would say, originates, has its um, roots in divine revelation. So the law is correct, but the quest, the objection is why would God create someone in such a way and then prohibit them from doing so? Now, this question can be answered in two ways. One is, men uh, have an inclination towards women, but men are also prohibited from womanizing. So that objection really doesn't carry any weight, meaning certain men have an inclination f- uh, for women and they are only allowed to fulfill that inclination through marriage, but any other way they are prohibited, so even their natural inclination is limited. But the second uh, way of responding to this, and this is a question to everyone here, you are all university students, and some of you may be biology students also, is for many years I have been asking for scientific proof, maybe someone can provide that scientific proof, that people are born homosexual, is this something that has been circulated and made prominent today due to political reasons, that we are made to believe that people are born homosexual, or meaning what is the actual scientific proof for this, what uh, scientific experiment occurred, what uh, basis is this statement made, because as far as I know, this is based upon the Kinsey report. And the Kinsey Report was something that was carried out in the, in the 1930s, meaning the Kinsey Report is not scientific data that can be trusted. Anyone who knows about the Kinsey Report will know that Kinsey was a researcher who went around America and compiled uh, information in a book on sexuality in America. And based on that, the modern statement has arisen that people are born homosexual uh, so, is this a scientific fact, or is this something that has been made uh, famous amongst people in order that they believe without questioning those facts? So, if anyone is able to present any strong scientific data, I would appreciate that for my own research.
1: Um, the second part of the question is, um, so, so some some people will say that um, like humans are all given like a fair chance at the test. So, why would God create someone with like a medical illness uh, such as schizophrenia or like a disability? To, would you still consider this to be a fair opportunity for them? Like, how would you answer that
0: question. Uh, anyone who is born with a mental illness or any disability is exempt from being punished by God. So, people who are born with mental illness or people who are born uh, mentally unable to comprehend things, those people are people of paradise. Likewise, children who die young. They in Islamic theology, this is uh, the all the children that die young will enter paradise, as well as people who are unable to comprehend the message of Islam, as well as people that the message of Islam has not reached. Meaning, there are people living in the Amazonian jungle Today that modern civilization has not reached if the message of Islam does not reach them, they enter paradise. But why do we refer to them as non-Muslims? That's a legal ruling on Earth. So if someone dies, we say he's a non-Muslim, we mean he he was not ostensibly a Muslim. But we cannot specifically say regarding any individual unless it states in the Quran that this person is going to hell. Meaning, we cannot, we cannot have that authority, that's divine authority. On the Day of Judgment, that person will be judged.
3: I just want to read back to the mental health. Um, if God has created people in mental health, then why are they here in the first place? Like, is it like meant to be a test for God to see where we should be at Judgment Day?
0: Uh, again, God creating people, giving them life, is a favour conferred upon them. So, on the Day of Judgment, when uh, they are entered into Paradise, that favour is increased, that they are entered into Paradise without any test or trial. So, the very favour of life is given to them.
3: So, are you trying to say that us and those people in mental health, that the mental health people get like a fleet ticket to heaven, whilst we actually have to prove to God our ability to either go to heaven or hell?
0: the distinction would be this that a person who is gi- both of us are given life the additional thing that we are given is intellect the additional thing is intellect and free will so a person born with mental health issues is given the gift of life but what we are given is the gift of life we are equal in this regard but the additional additional things that we are given is intellect and free will so, because of these additional gifts of intellect and free will, we have to go through a test. But they do not, they are not given free will and intellect, therefore, they enter paradise.
3: But we are all the same, no? We are all made the same way according to God?
0: We no, made... we, we differ. Meaning, every human differs with the. For instance, there's an old woman who. This actually happened. There was an old woman who lived next door to me. She was in her late 90s. And she was a Jehovah's Witness. She would preach religion to me every day. But she was unable to comprehend deep theological discussions of this nature. Meaning, the fresh minds, the university minds that are sitting here can comprehend this discussion. But that 90-year-old woman could not comprehend many of those discussions. She will not be judged by God in the way that we will be judged. We are all different. But I agree with you
3: in the sense that we all have different personalities, but we're all created the exact same way. So how does that that distinguish whether we have access to intellectual
0: or not when all of us are practically equal within society? Um, Again, uh, saying God created us different does not do away with equality. Those are two different things. We are equal as humans. So uh, the equal rights of of one group or another group are not tarnished in any way. What I mean by this is how we are judged by God Varies from person to person. This will vary from person to person. Meaning, a rich person, Bill Gates, the amount of wealth he has been given, he will be judged differently to the way a a beggar on the street is judged, due to the 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 variance (coughs) in wealth. Likewise, the mind of Einstein will be judged differently to the mind of a of a person of average intelligence. Likewise, someone who is emotionally Uh, uh, has emotional issues will be judged different to someone who has no emotional issues so from in this aspect the judgment of God varies from person to person now you someone may think that's unfair but in reality that is fair and also uh, merciful because a person when the when he is judged that person is judged According to his abilities, so that m- would mean that someone who does not have those abilities is shown mercy, like the man in the Amazon jungle, who the message of Islam did not reach. He's shown more mercy by entering uh, by entering paradise. for me,
3: question: If that is the case, then why did God create us that way? Like why? This brings us
0: to uh, going back, meaning to the initial question: Why does God do certain? Uh, acts of creation why does I mean these, this goes into uh, the realm of the divine acts of God the answer to that would be That uh, from a Qur'anic perspective would be that God is the doer of what he wills meaning our This brings me to another uh, Point as well, which is how do we define good and bad? How do we define good and evil is it determined by the human mind or is it defined defined by God himself? Uh, as well as on what basis can we question the actions of God? Is it on human morality or is it something that uh, supersedes or something that is above human morality? So when we question the actions of God on What basis do we question those actions? So when, when you ask why does God do this the response would be God is the doer of what he will
5: just to go back to what we were discussing about sexuality, um, the Kinsey report was not a scientific study, it was a social study uh, designed to discover how many people admitted that they had attraction to the same gender. Um, Then from the Kinsey study we had the Kinsey scale which proved that most people are in some way attracted to the same gender. We are not exclusively heterosexual, the majority of people are not exclusively heterosexual. Um, As to the scientific evidence of the gene which predicts homosexuality, to date, there is no gene which predicts homosexuality. But we do know that um, hormonal influences in the womb can cause a person to be homosexual. For instance, men who tend to have many older brothers will prove to be homosexual. Um, at a higher rate than people, or rather men, who don't have as many older brothers. So statistically, if you have seven older brothers and you are a man, you are more likely to be homosexual than a man who has three older brothers. Um, so we know that hormones in the womb, so from our mother, influence men when it comes to their sexuality. Um, as for lesbians, there's no research that has currently been done. Um, this is not uh, a question, I just wanted to clarify where science was when it comes to
0: sexuality. Uh, with, with regard to that as well, I would say uh, even the, the scientific uh, data that you've presented would be something circumstantial and statistical, mm-hmm. nothing really concrete. I Meaning, it's nothing factual like if you present to me the theory of relativity or... Uh, Newton's uh, second law, or something meaning something that a person can actually uh, test. So it's something circumstantial. Uh, the, st- the stats that have been given, meaning a person looks into the data, meaning are those st- statistics compiled only in specific countries, in specific places, uh, were those stats carried out in Africa, in Asia, in different regions of the world. There's nothing, and uh, it's interesting you mentioned also the Kinsey report um, what they concluded from the Kinsey report is also, again, like you said, it's not scientific, it's very prone to error, meaning the data is prone to error. I think there was a person. Standard, Jim. Sorry. Uh,
4: the Quran yeah. describes Allah as Ar yeah. the most merciful of those who show mercy. Yet the Islamic tradition says Allah is Al Khafid, the obeisah, and Al Mudil, the humiliator and we know that uh, from Islamic sources that Allah will inflict immense pain on people in hellfire. So the argument could be made that it is irrational that Allah is and will and him at the same time, as it's conflicting. And uh, there's an ex-Muslim on YouTube that recently posed a question to you. Uh, he says, and he provides a similitude, he says that if a person was in a marriage relationship, he or she could describe himself as the faithful one but when that person is caught in bed with someone who is not uh, who, who they are not in a relationship with this person could simply say have another two attributes such as the falander or the cheat so this sounds absurd as the person is obviously not, not displaying the characteristic of being the faithful one so how can Allah be and and Al
0: Fa'fid simultaneously okay here the um the objection is that how can god be described with attributes which he is claiming are attributes that contradict one another so the response is that firstly these attributes are called which are attributes of the divine actions of god Attributes of the divine action. So you can have a man, to give you a worldly example, even though you can have a man who has the attribute of being peaceful and calm, but at the same time, at moments, he can be angry. I mean, there's no contradiction in action in the sense that these are attributes of the individual. At points, he can show anger. When is anger a good thing? If if a thief breaks into his house, and in order to restrain the thief, he shows anger. When is calmness good? When he is giving a judgment, uh, meaning that is a good attribute to have. So, when we ascribe all these attributes to God, in the Qur'an, Arhamur Rahimi, the most merciful of those who are merciful, but at the same time, within the Qur'an, he has other attributes. What does this entail? The conclusion, the summary of the answer is those attributes the effect of those attributes is shown to those whom he wills meaning when he says he is the most merciful and merciful that would mean that he shows mercy to those whom he wills who does he will to show that mercy to it varies from groups to group meaning in this world mercy is shown to everyone to a degree believers and disbelievers but God has told us in the Quran that if there are groups of people that the message of Islam has reached, and after comprehending the message, they refuse, they will be punished. So his mercy, in some cases, is conditional by his divine will. Likewise, other attributes, the effect of those attributes, we observe in his creation also, meaning there is no contradiction in those divine attributes. These are known as Sifatul Faal. We, so the the example given of a man who is married commits adultery, and then when he is caught in adultery, he says that he is uh, aside from being an adulterer, he has the other attributes. This example doesn't. This is a disanalogy. Why is it a disanalogy? Because the attribute of being married and committing adultery, and then he says, uh, aside from being loyal, I am also a person who commits adultery, that is a contradiction of attributes. That contradiction is not found in the d- divine attributes. Those divine attributes are for effects, uh, uh, what we observe the effect within creation within different things. It varies from thing to thing. So God can raise someone whom he wills and lower someone whom he wills. So th- there's a distinction between the two. So is Arham exclusive to the pious believers in the next time In the next life, it's exclusive to believers, as well as uh, specific groups that are mentioned. Meaning, people, children, for instance, who are not believers, or people who the message of Islam never reached. So there is no contradiction as the person is claiming. But the objection—that objection that that you refer to—started with the person making an objection as to why did God create people in the first place. If he knew they will go to hell and I responded to that by saying he conferred upon them a favor of life intellect and free will life intellect and free will is a greater gift than non-existence how if you travel back in time and you met baby Hitler would you kill baby Hitler would you kill him but you know to hell.
2: Uh, Going back to the homosexuality question, because you didn't think, I don't know the lady's name over there, but you didn't think the evidence she presented was sufficiently strong. Can you present any stronger evidence that people are born heterosexual?
0: Um, Again, uh, I I have no position on the scientific data regarding uh, how people are born, whether they are born homosexual or heterosexual. I'm not the one making the point. Meaning, I'm, I want to receive information from you that is convincing. Yeah, but you, had, you had a
2: position on it a few moments ago when you didn't think the lady over there's evidence
0: was strong enough. Yeah, I think that that is not convincing enough for me. Yes, yeah, so I can you provide more convincing evidence that people are born
2: heterosexual.
0: Again, I've not made that claim. So I would only have to provide evidence if I'm making a claim.
2: But by rejecting the claim that gay people are born homosexual, you're implying that they're born heterosexual. So you are tacitly that claim.
0: The implication is made by yourself. I'm saying a child has, is born with no sexuality initially as a child. Child has no sexuality. They grow into sexuality in their teen years. Is that not the case? We've all experienced that. I mean, a, a child cannot be born heterosexual or Homosexual, a child is a child.
1: Um, I have a question, and this is, I find it amongst, um, especially if m- not just non-Muslims, but Muslims on campus, as um, regards to scripture. Um, so they believe, like the Quran, but they don't believe in the Hadith, because I think that it's basically, I, I don't want to use this, but this is the words they use, it's like Chinese whispers, where, like, how can you believe in something which, well, this is how what they say to me especially Muslims is how can you believe in scriptures which you don't know whether that could be correct or not Like the person the people that are narrating it etc something they
0: could have said something which you know could be 100% um, with the hadith there is a science of hadith known as al-Hadith, the scientific principles of examining reports so I would advise you to read a, a work on the science of hadith literature a good book for you to recommend to you is hadith literature by zubayr siddiqui or you read um uh, the work of uh, muhammad mustafa azmi known as um on shat's origin of hadith literature which is a refutation of those claims on shat's origin of hadith literature because Uh, the uh, orientalists like Shat and Goldziah, all these orientalists, they claim that hadith literature has an origin 200 years after uh, the Prophet peace be upon him. So all these claims have been refuted elsewhere. So I would advise you to read those books. But the the distinction between uh, Quran and hadith is that the hadith are categorized. So there are categories of hadith. Certain hadith are categorized as being weak, others as acceptable, and others as authentic. Then there is a fourth category, which is mass-transmitted. Those hadiths which are mass-transmitted are similar to the Quran in their veracity, in the truthfulness that they have reached us. I and mean, the other
1: thing was, to what extent do you think Muslims, especially in university, when like they haven't, um, when we haven't studied like. Um, properly and delve into the science of Quran and Hadith. So, like let's say, um, especially in like societies where you, a, a certain person is giving a lecture and they're talking about Quran and uh, uh, let's say Hadith, but as we, we may or may not know that like certain things in Quran are it's it's very hard to actually translate it or just use an online online translation. Even if you if you mean good you
0: can actually do bad because uh, what i would recommend is um there is a quran with commentary and the best commentary in english available is the jalalain so you have imam jalaluddin al and jalaluddin al-mahalli they joined commentary on the quran which is translated into english so it's a classical uh, translation Um, uh, the classical commentary translated into English. So you refer back to that with regard to the Quran. With regard to Hadith, I would recommend everyone to read one book on the Hadith sciences and one book on the Quran sciences. There are numerous books available in English. So one book on Quran sciences, one book on Hadith sciences. As
4: Muslims, we obviously believe in Qadr
0: so, how do you understand the relationship between uh, free will and Qadr? So, Qadr is divine knowledge of what you will do. Yes? Is that how you understand Qadr? Yeah. Divine thinking. knowledge of what you will do. Yes? Yeah. Free will is carrying out your free will. Your free will in exercise. So, God knows I will pick up this bottle. I pick up the bottle. Does God knowing I will pick up the bottle entail that I am being forced to pick up the bottle? Yes or no? The answer is no. I mean, God knowing does not mean that I am being forced. So there's no contradiction. Is that clear? This is a question at the.
5: I was just going to say, you said that um, people who live, um, in the Amazon forest automatically go to the message. Um, but from what I have researched, um, there's evidence saying that there's a hadith um, by Imam Ahmed that says that they actually um, get sent to another realm and they, a message is sent to them and they get asked whether they believe in uh, Allah or not. So what do you make of that headed, people? Is it because you don't, you don't um,
0: um, the opinion that I mentioned is based on the verse رسولة, in the Quran we do not punish معذبين, رسولة, until we send a messenger so based upon that the scholars mention the broad principle that groups of people are not punished until a messenger is sent to them but specifically Regarding those ahadith, Imam Jalaluddin As-Suyuti compiled those ahadith. He says, with regard to those hadith, when those people will be tested, they then will fall under the category of people to whom a messenger has been sent. So on the day of judgment, a test will be made for them, and that test therefore negates the previous. So there are two opinions regarding that.
4: Um, what sort of guidelines
1: would you set for muslims at this university or any university when it comes to giving darah and um, sort of like there are in every campus, societies societies, and stuff so what sort of guidelines would you give those people in, in terms of that work because like i know like if you don't study the religion correctly like the quran hadith you can quite find it that you can contradict yourself a lot because if let's say you don't know, have a teacher like some people believe. You don't need teachers. You can just self-study, especially the Quran and the Hadith. Um, what sort of guidance would you give, especially for the youth, for
0: us? Um, when well, in university, you would not need uh, um, intricate, details regarding dawa. You need a broader uh, dawa. That, therefore, in university, you should avoid sectarian issues because the the dawa in university is very broad, meaning belief in a creator, knowing the basic muharramat, because students who enter into university, many of them are exposed to so many haram Muslim students uh, that they have a weakness of faith iman because of the amount of haram. So there are basic harams that everyone knows these things should be avoided, alcohol, uh, fornication and a few other things, these things are prohibited, and a basic da'wah regarding the basic beliefs So a concentration on those issues should be made in university. And for that, you can read basic Islamic literature. If you read about four or five books, that's sufficient for your three years in university. You can ask me at the end and and write down some books that I can recommend.
1: Yes, so um, during your talk in the beginning, you mentioned that we can come to a logical conclusion that there is a God or an Originator, and then you mentioned that there are numerous religions that that claim that they that they have the correct portrayal of what God is. So you're a Muslim, and a lot of the questions are based on Islam, about Islam. So. How, can, how did you come to the conclusion that Islam is the correct religion
0: and that the Qur'an is divine revelation, as you mentioned before? So uh, with regard to how to come to the conclusion that Islam is the correct religion, there is something known as uh, Sunni rational theology, which is known as kalam, ilmul kalam From a study of Ilmul al-kalam, meaning Sunni rational theology, a person We'll see the, the propositions and the premises being made upon a strong, knowledgeable uh, basis. And this is based on the Quran. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Al Quran states, Do not follow that which you have no knowledge regarding. Meaning, everything that you follow in religion must be based upon knowledge. So knowledge is two types, one is the textual knowledge of the Qur'an and the Hadith and the second is the the rational uh, knowledge of the mind. So both of these go hand in hand in Islam, so there are no logical and rational contradictions between Islamic belief and the mind. A person doesn't have to live with a clash of the two. If, If they are claiming that there is a clash, in many cases, When people are presented a verse of the Quran to me saying this verse of the Quran contradicts uh, empirical observance like in the story of Dhul Qarnayn in the Quran it states he reached a point where there was a lake of water, muddy lake of water and he observed the sun setting. So some people they quote this verse to say that the Quran is stating that the sun sets in a muddy lake as a scientific fact, when in reality the Quran is not stating that. The narrative of the Quran, the story being related is that Dhul Qarnayn went to the western part of the world and he reached a lake and his observation was such that he was observing the sun setting in a lake. So when people think that there is a clash of Quran and Hadith and the rational empirical observance. In reality they are misunderstanding the hadith and i can give numerous examples in other lectures i have given numerous examples like the hadith regarding the sun prostrating under the throne of god so some people think there's a there's a scientific contradiction but i have answered that elsewhere i will not go into the depths of that answer but i have answered those um, the misunderstanding people have so there is no contradiction between rational thought and the the texts of the Qur'an and the Hadith. So this is what would lead us to concluding that Islam is the correct religion. So um,
1: in terms of the Qur'an, how can you come to the conclusion that the Qur'an is divine and that is, um, you know, the final word of
0: Qur'an, uh, the final word of God, not the Bible, not the hopes? books? Uh, this, again, You would have to do a comparative reading of all these books when you do a comparative reading the Bible was compiled over hundreds of years by numerous authors the Bible has over 60 authors 60 different authors with the Quran the Quran was memorized and compiled within a period of 23 years so a non-muslim would claim that the Prophet peace be upon him is the author of the Quran therefore according to them the Quran has only one author so this is the first distinction between both books one book having been compiled over hundreds of years one having been written in 20 years and memorized in 20 years then we look at the content of the words what does each book contain so many Westerners are under the impression that the Quran is a copy and paste from the Bible. But when you do a comparison of the two, you will realize they are totally distinct. For instance, the story of Jesus and Mary in the Qur'an, a comparison of that story with the Bible. In the Bible, the first miracle Jesus performs is at the age of 33, uh, when he goes to a wedding and he changes water into wine. This is the first miracle ascribed to Jesus in, in the Bible. In the quran the first miracle of jesus is after birth when he speaks from the cradle so just this one distinction of the story of jesus will show that the quran is not a copy from the bible so the quran was written in a period of 20 years 23 years when the holy prophet peace be upon him Was a person who had not learned how to read and write from any human being no one had ever taught him how to read and write and the quran states this and the people of makkah did not contradict this they never said that he in fact in fact did learn how to read and write they all say they all admitted he did not learn how to read and write from another human being so a man who was who did not learn how to read and write from any other human being was able to recite a book which could not be counted, could not be counted, meaning there was a challenge. What was the challenge? The people of literature in the Arabian community at that time were given a challenge to counter the Qur'an. And they were unable to live up to the challenge for 20 years, 23 years. So they took up arms against him. And these were the most eloquent people of that time. So like this, when you start studying the Qur'an, you will realize that the Qur'an is unlike any other book. And of course, that is a discussion for another subject, because today's subject was, is there a God? Meaning, whether a person believes in the Qur'an or does not believe in the Qur'an, it does not um, relate to the question, is there a God or not?
3: So, that question is like cut into three parts, but I wanted to leave the his real quick. Um, so, you're saying about you, so guys were just talking earlier about, you know, Islam being the real like religion that we should all follow, but God also said in the Quran that there are three religions we should know, which is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So, if we're talking about the scriptures and where the books are, and saying that the Quran is the only one that has been fixed and that the other two have not, then why has God indicated that we should not three religions?
0: Uh, which specific verse are you referring to?
3: I don't really know the Quran off by heart. I'm not
0: half, but like I'm saying this from being
3: taught Islam in school. That the Quran
0: says that we should know the three religions: Islam,
3: Christianity, and Judaism. That we should know of them. We should know of
0: them or believe in them. No, to know of them. I don't know which specific verse you're referring to because uh, what the Quran mentions is something known as Islam. Which is submission to God. Now, submission to God is not specific to any religion. The meaning of submission is just submitting to your Creator. So, if there's an Eskimo living in the North Pole and he submits to his Creator, he has done the action of Islam. He's a Muslim in that sense. So, from the time of Adam, in the revelations upon each consecutive prophet, each prophet. Was preaching submission to the Creator. In each generation, the, the revelations were being tampered with, and those the messages of those prophets were being tampered with. So the final revelation, which was the revelation of the Quran, confirmed that there were previous revelations, but those previous revelations of those who call themselves Christians and Jews today were tampered that those revelations have been tampered by the rabbis and the scribes. So the Qur'an was the only book, meaning the final revelation, which was given a guarantee by God Almighty that it shall never be tampered. This is what's stated in the Qur'an. Yeah, but in today's
3: society there are still many religions.
0: What is the reason for this Uh, A human, uh, the human mind, meaning uh, if you study the subject of cults within Uh, human society you will find that whenever you have a charismatic leader a charismatic leader may have a certain number of followers and then he brings his own doctrine so what does Islam tell us regarding new doctrines that may crop up from time to time is to use our mind what is is the correct doctrine so what Islamic theology tells us is to use our minds in determining what is correct and incorrect
3: Okay, so and then in terms of social grouping then idea of cults and social groups, what is your take on feminism in Islam?
0: Feminism. Yes. How would you define feminism?
3: So that <laughs> equal rights between men and women.
0: Equal rights.
3: Between men and women.
0: Men and women should have equal rights.
3: So would you say that feminism is encouraged within Islam?
0: Again. Islam does not need feminism. Feminism needs Islam because Islam gave women rights before feminism existed. How? I'll give you some examples. In Arabian society, the Arabians, the Arabs were burying girls alive. They were killing young daughters. They would bar women from inheritance. When they would bar women from inheritance, the Qur'an revealed rights for women that firstly women have the right to life that daughters should not be buried. Secondly, an entire chapter was revealed in the Qur'an called Suratul Nisa which is the chapter of women, chapter number four of the Qur'an, the chapter of women. What rights were given that people today bring up the inheritance laws. They say the laws in Islam are incorrect. The answer is those laws are correct why because what they mentioned the objection is that a a female child receives half the inheritance of a male child ostensibly this may seem unfair but the correct understanding of this is the reason why the woman has half the inheritance of the male is because when the male sibling gets married he must pay the dowry for his wife and the woman can demand as much dairy as she wants. Additional to that, the man must, up, must maintain the lifestyle of that woman. So if she's going out and spending extravagantly, the man must pay. She can keep her money. So if you have a brother and sister, the brother receives a million pound. The sister receives 500,000. The brother goes and gets married. His wife demands a dairy of 200,000 pound. She demands a house of 500,000 pound she demands x y and z the man is left to work and he pays and maintains his wife's lifestyle The sister on the other hand receives an inheritance of 500,000 pound. She marries another man She demands a house from him. She demands a diary from him He must maintain a lifestyle and she does not have to spend a single penny on him in Islamic law She will be richer than her brother in the long run so this is how Islam gave women. In fact, I would say we do not believe in equal rights. We believe women should have more rights.
3: All right. And then my last question because This was just, just mentioned earlier. You're talking about Dawah has an idea of um, when we go to university, we will be mixed around different groups of society, different people including Muslims, which may not have as much knowledge as other Muslims that surround us. So um, as an individual, I might I won't have much understanding of this. By growing, um, especially since I grew up in the Middle East, but um, the idea of student loans—would you classify that as being allowed within Islam or not? Student loans. The idea of the government providing loans towards students.
0: How do student loans work? So basically. But, but we are going off the topic. Uh, I mean, this is just from my
3: knowledge because we weren't really providing this growing up being taught of religion. Um, but the idea of student is that students are provided a lump sum of cash in order to fund their education.
0: Please, uh, with the student loan question, write it down and send it to me, and then I'll give them more information Okay, sure. On. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, as like you mentioned, um, so like with feminism, would you believe that, um, we don't need feminism because feminism because we have Islam and Islam has the best rights for women and women. So, like for people that like are in search of like, like more things, if we have a religion that's complete, like a complete way of life, sort of for everything that we do, we don't need to find like other sources of information. Would you consider that to be a,
0: a good approach
1: of seeing it, or?
0: You've misunderstood. There, there are certain things in Islamic legislation that are fixated. But then there is something known as uh, um, uh, law which is uh, open to human interpretation, like how you build roads. Yes? So, uh, this is a uh, uh, d- uh, law which is left to the ruler at the… Um, the, the, the ruler is left to decide how that law should be legislated. So those things can be innovative and uh, man-made and whatnot, but there are certain laws that remain fixated, through, like murder is unjust and must be punished. So there are certain Islamic laws that will always remain, but within discretionary law, the broader discretionary law, um, there can be innovation and changes made. So. In Islamic law, if there is a rapist who was not witnessed raping a woman by four men who had witnessed that act, does this mean that the rapist is not given a punishment? The answer is no, he is given a punishment. But for a had punishment, a corporal punishment to be established, there are conditions. Likewise a thief, in Islamic law for the hand to be amputated, There are two male witnesses, masim, thief. But in today's day and age, you have a camera catching the thief stealing. You cannot apply the had punishment on the thief, but you can apply discretional punishment. He can be jailed for five years. Is that clear? Again, this goes back to uh, something I mentioned earlier. How do we determine what is just and unjust? Is it left to the human mind, or is it what the divine law ordains? The answer is, for us, it is what the divine law ordains. So the divine law is in accordance with the divine command. So the divine command, if the command for one person is that you can kill and for the other is that you cannot kill the the divine command is what dictates what is just and unjust but if you leave it to the mind to determine then the divine order can then the, the human mind can over uh, overrule the divine command so there is no contradiction islamically speaking so the person would have to counter this argument that God is the one who determines what is good and bad, not the human mind. So, If someone looks at
4: Islam, they're not Muslim, and they focus on this particular anecdote, they're possibly going to
0: think that uh, Islam is not not, just believing. Again, uh, if the person cannot accept that God is the one who determines what is good and bad, then this is a tenet a faith or creed denial of which would mean that they would not accept islam I mean they have their choice to accept or not i mean how do we define good or bad is it left to the human mind or is it determined by god almighty so then might say, why has uh, uh, allah given people uh, not, not given people this option why is it god who determines what is just why why do
4: humans get this
0: uh, opportunity to determine what is just and what is not just. If humans were left to determine what is just and unjust, each human would have a different opinion. So, for instance, one person would say you are permitted half a la- uh, glass of lager, and the other person would say a full glass of lager, and the other person would say no lager at all. Meaning, who would be left to determine? Everyone would fight one another for a different law. Is that not the case? Yes, so, so, so therefore the Divine is the one who determines. He would entail that He is contained by time and place. So God existed, meaning the the Divine cause of the universe existed before time and place and He exists now as He did before time and place. So He is not contained by time and place. Again, there's a distinction between uh, causing doubts and having genuine questions. So, a person should not go out their way to cause doubts, but they are, they are permitted to question things, and that is why rational theology is a, is a tool that is used, employed in order to answer those doubts and answer those questions which people may have. So, rational theology, meaning Sunni rational theology, is is a tool uh, that is uh, learnt by people and I would encourage everyone to enter the realm of uh, Sunni rational theology by learning something like the Sunusi creed basic text. You can refer to my lectures online, the Sunusi creed, 11 lessons on how to use your mind in answering these type of questions. Of course, that's correct, there are spiritual reasons for believing in a God, but uh, as the atheists in the world will tell you, for the most part they will dismiss those reasons, so I have not addressed those reasons, they would not call that an argument.
4: Shit, you know what you presented, was that called the
0: cosmological argument, what they say, is that, is that what you
4: presented today?
0: Uh, that would be co- named as the argument from contingency, and it's one of the... Uh, many constructs of the cosmological argument, meaning the cosmological argument has different ways of being uh, presented. Like you have Leibniz uh, version of the cosmological argument, you have different constructs of the same thing. But the one I presented is the classical uh, sunni uh, theological argument from the classical sunni books. So you know the ontological and the theological argument,
4: are they, are they also within the sunni? The book?
0: ontological argument. It's very weak and is dismissed. The ontological argument. Hi, yes. yeah. um, I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you, yes. I don't know if you've written this before, so I don't know if you can. I was just wondering what your
5: sort of um, revival answer would be to. in our religion obviously it's the case of we were created to worship him, but then people would say why would God need need us just to worship him? It's sort of a fancy sort of thing. And if the celestial being is like that and creates us just for that purpose
0: are beworth to worship, I think that's that's the argument you say. Uh I have touched on this prior to your arrival, but uh, the question in fact uh when Muslims respond by saying God created us to worship him that's based on the verse but the correct wording of the statement should be um, or the translation of that verse should be I did not create jinn and humankind except to realize their servitude so there's a distinction between worship and realizing your innate neediness of it of the Creator there's a big distinction meaning you can have a person who stays in a place and worships Allah for 500 years, but he has no ubudiya servitude. Like the example giving, given in a hadith, a man will be resurrected on the day of judgment and God Almighty will say, enter him into paradise. He worshiped for 500 years. God Almighty will say, enter him into paradise with, his worship, with my mercy. And the man shall exclaim, saying, with my worship. So God Almighty shall place one favor, the favor of eyesight, on the scale. And the the favor of eyesight shall outweigh the favor of worship, uh, or the act of his worship. And God Almighty will say, place him in hellfire. So the man will say, place me in paradise with your mercy. So the point of mentioning this is to say that worship in itself is not the goal. The, the purpose of, of our creation is to realize our servitude. What do I mean by servitude? Our innate neediness of our Creator. Realizing our innate neediness of our Creator. When does a person realize this? When they are at their weakest moment. So in, at the time of an illness or at the time of any uh, point of neediness, uh, difficulty and hardship, they will realize that there is someone who controls their affairs. There are points and instances a person goes through in their lifetime where they will realize that there is someone else who controls their affairs. So, additional to that, why did God create us, aside from realizing our servitude, is that the favor of life and the favor of intellect and the favor of free will is greater for us than non-existence. And what is the proof of that? The proof of that is, if... Someone killed, meaning murder, is punished by law. Why is murder punished by law? Because you have taken away life, freedom and intellect from another human being. Therefore, non-existence can never be greater than life, intellect and freedom. And these three things are a gift given to us. So God created us, our creation is a gift to us. And the only thing that we are expected to do is realize our servitude so when God says I created Jinn and humankind except to realize their servitude in fact what they have been given which is life freedom and uh, intellect is a gift to them so this is how I respond to that aspect of the question the other question regarding why does God create illness relates to why does God do certain acts which we may determine as being evil but one uh, response i would say with regard to what we may think as being evil is that evil in itself is something subjective how is it subjective this poison of a snake is considered evil for the victims of that snake but the poison for the snake is good because it keeps the the snake living so poison of a snake if i ask you Is poison of a snake evil some people will say yes poison of a snake is evil but for the snake poison is not evil because it keeps that snake living likewise if i say again there is uh, the limitations of human knowledge with regard to the why god almighty created the affliction as well as the end result meaning it, it would be unfair for a human being to judge the divine actions of God Almighty when the overall result is not observed by us in this world. The overall result will be observed on the Day of Judgment. So as believers, we believe in the Day of Judgment, but the Day of Judgment will give us the complete picture of what actually occurred, meaning if we judge only according to a segment of what we observe, then a person can come to the incorrect conclusion that God has done something unjust. But if we observe the entire picture, then we would be given the satisfactory knowledge that the divine action was correct. Uh, an argument could be made uh, by someone that
4: it's irrational and doesn't make sense to believe in God when God put, uh, according to the argument, could have collected his own words, uh, such as previous scriptures which have been lost or corrupted. How can a powerful God allow for this scripture to be lost
0: in the earth? And the ex-Muslim to this in this uh, latest vision. Okay, the response to that question is that the Quran, when it mentions the tampering of the previous scriptures, uh, scriptures, has mentioned that those scriptures were only tampered because when the revelation was given, Allah said, بِمَسْ تُحْفِظُ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ they were given the task of preserving. So, God did not undertake the preservation. The, the revelations were given to the rabbis and the, the elite of the clerics, and they were told to preserve the books. Meaning, a taklif. They were given a task to do this. When they failed, then the revelation of the Qur'an came. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, "Inna نَحْنُ nazzalna ذِكْرًا we reveal this revelation, meaning in the Qur'an, ذِكْر, meaning the Qur'an, and we will preserve it. So that guarantee of preservation was only given to the Qur'an. All the previous revelations, the task of preserving was given to the rabbis and the clerics. And, uh, they may say that why would Allah
4: would give this task
0: to human beings We see it
4: in him?
0: No, The task was not given because he's, he was incapable, the task was given to them as because they were able to do so, but they failed in doing so. When they failed in doing so, out of corruption, it was a, test for them. a test for them, then God Almighty then showed his divine powers to us, meaning we observe that the Qur'an is preserved. Meaning this the objection is, of course, uh, these objections are made upon fallacies, if you Really look at the depth of those objections. So.
4: Uh, is it not unfair that some people are born Muslim and
0: some people are not? Okay. Uh, Firstly, no child is born Muslim or non-Muslim. Children are born to parents who are Muslim or non-Muslim. So children, when we label them, the only reason we label them, when we say this is a Christian child, this is a Muslim child, what we mean by those labels is this is a child that was born to Muslim parents. This is a child that was born to Christian parents. That's the first thing. Secondly, you can have a Muslim child born in a Muslim family. Once he reaches puberty, he goes to school. And any one of these objections that we have been hearing is proposed to him by his RS teacher, religious uh, education teacher. When he is unable to respond, he falls into doubt regarding his faith and he loses his faith. When he loses his faith... He decides not to announce this to his family because this would cause discord in the family. So inwardly he is a disbeliever, outwardly he is a believer. When he grows into adulthood, he passes away, he dies. The local imam, will he wash his body and shroud him and pray this, the janaza prayer over him, the funeral prayer? The answer is yes. Why? Because outwardly he died as a Muslim. So we bury him and we say he was a Muslim. But on the Day of Judgment he will be resurrected as what? As a disbeliever. A second person, a non-Muslim, born in a non-Muslim family. All his life he lives as a non-Muslim. But one day he hears regarding a truthful aspect of Islam that reaches him. And he believes in it. But he does not declare his Islam, or he does not declare that he believes in that thing because the situation never arose, no one ever asked. So a person who lives in Aberdeen, never interacted with a Muslim, one day searching on Google finds tenets of Islam that he agrees with, he believes in them. But he never utters or states those tenets of faith. He dies, when he dies, Will the Imam pray his funeral prayer? The answer is no. Why? Because ostensibly he died as a non-Muslim. But on the Day of Judgment, what will he be resurrected as? As a believer, because he believed in those things. So what we may observe in this life, the outward reality is different to the reality on the Day of Judgment.
3: distinguishing between the two, are you saying that it's not obliged for a person to actually follow a statement or a label of religion, yet, but a faith in God instead?
0: If you followed my wordings properly, you would realize I said that the situation never arose where he needed to utter the statement of faith.
3: But what if, what if in both cases, whether non-Muslim or Muslim, they are believers in God?
0: Meaning they believe in a God, but they do not believe in… The Qur'an. What? Yeah. His question was, was regarding Allah Almighty making people being born in a Muslim family and a non-Muslim family.
3: Okay. Then what if a Muslim grew up without the understanding or the ability to read the Qur'an or the idea of believing in the Qur'an yet, but yet have faith in God and
5: what what what, what they have been brought up to learn?
0: So. The scenario you're asking is, a person is born as a Muslim but never read the Qur'an. Yes. But they had the opportunity to do so.
3: Not the opportunity, but has been brought up to understand of it and of its teachings.
0: They have been raised to not understand. No, I
3: mean, they've been taught, they've been taught the teachings of the Qur'an but have not once read themselves. Have not done what God has requested us to do, which is obviously five pillars.
0: Well, they would, have to, they would be obliged by God Almighty on the Day of Judgment, they, then God will judge them on the Day of Judgment for their own personal situation. Every person has a unique situation which can only be judged. The, the, the purpose of the answer is that the ultimate judgment is only given by whom? By God Almighty. But in the worldly sense, we are obliged to, when we say this person is a Muslim and this person is a non-Muslim, this is an outward judgment given in this world.
3: Okay, but in his question, he is basically saying that we are born into different families, but then you have stated that we are we are basic, we basically grow into religion. What if we are we grow within either a non-Muslim household or a Muslim household, yet we choose to grow up without the belief of a religion, even though it has been taught to us from around?
0: Then that person would fall into the category that the religion has been conveyed to them. So there are two types of people: those that the religion has not been conveyed to, and those that the religion has been conveyed to. So, Islamically speaking, anyone that the religion of Islam has been conveyed to then is a disbeliever with the, with the God Almighty. Anyone who the religion has been conveyed to. In fact, there are 15 conditions. 15 conditions before a person uh, is obliged to believe.
3: So are you saying a disbeliever is even a believer of the, of energy that surrounds them? So
0: that no. The agnosticism. No, no. There's a distinction. You see, the subject is, is there a God? Mm-hmm. That's the subject. But his question is revolving around a Muslim and a non-Muslim. So that's why his question was given a specific response. Okay. But
3: so if we're, if we're going to come back to the question which is, why should we believe in God? Are you saying that the belief of a thief and a an agnostic is wrong?
0: Atheist No, atheist. A, a, a higher power. No. Theism is correct. Mm-hmm. But then from theism we move on to Islam specifically. So if someone is a theist and the message of Islam is conveyed to them, their rejection of Islam as a Muslim we would say is wrong. But what if
3: it has what what if it has not been conveyed to them?
0: Again, if it has not been conveyed to them, then they fall into the category. That I mentioned earlier, that there is a group of people that shall not be punished because their message of Islam has not been conveyed to them. Or it is not within their ability to learn regarding Islam.
4: Um, Aren't all Muslims eventually going to enter heaven? So, say there's a person who, in the back of his mind, believes in the oneness of God and the last messenger, but his actions contradict his beliefs. And commit sin and um, like fornication, also. But there's a person who lives like a relatively sinless life but doesn't accept Islam without knowing of it, they'll burn in hell. Whereas the the Muslim that had Islam in
0: the back of his head to commit sin will eventually go to heaven. Isn't, can that be seen as unfair? Firstly, with a Muslim who commits those sins, there's no guarantee that person will die in faith. There's no guarantee. Because sometimes those sins lead to disbelief. But let's say there are two scenarios. A Muslim gives ten pound in charity, will he be rewarded? The answer is what? Yes. But he gives that charity out of ostentation in order to show off, will he be rewarded? The answer is no. So a Muslim being rewarded, he's only given reward based upon his intention. So a disbeliever is only... why should a disbeliever be rewarded? If the intention of the disbeliever is for ostentation and other things, meaning he's not doing it for Allah, is he? He's not doing it for god almighty so therefore he has his reward on earth everything he gets on earth is his reward so you may have a person who does good charitable works but the charitable works are done for uh, ulterior motives and he passes away he would be rewarded on earth but what if the muslim
4: does his actions with ulterior ulterior motives? he'll be punished
0: Punished, but to heaven, the, the entering of into paradise for eternal, for eternally in paradise and hellfire is not based upon the actions; it's based upon belief. But what do we mean by belief? We mean accepting his servitude to Allah. There's a big difference. Meaning, the real meaning of disbelief, kufar, is covering up your innate reality is that you're a servant of of your Creator. This is the meaning of disbelief, it's an arrogance. While the real meaning of belief is accepting your servitude to your Creator. So, these are the two things that determine punishment in hellfire and reward in paradise. What time do you have the whole hmm? Yeah, You, you don't want security coming in like Manchester.
1: Uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but um, once you've uh, proved the existence of God, how do you actually prove profitable?
0: See, uh, Prophethood goes into the subject of uh, Mu'jizat, firstly miracles, secondly the character of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So what today, what non-Muslims are doing, when I say non-Muslims, I mean specific strands, is to tarnish the character of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So why? Because if you tarnish the character of the Prophet, peace be upon him, then you tarnish the entire message of Islam. So they'll mention warfare in Islam, pri- uh, prisoners of war, and slavery, and marriage to Aisha and All these different things, which is not is beyond the scope of this lecture. But the first thing is that you mention the mu'ajizat, prophetic miracles. The second is the character of the Prophet peace be upon him, and the third is the Quran. And each one of those is a subject in itself.
5: So I'm not sure if you actually answered this or not, but um, I was just wondering why. Like I we never ask to be here, and then we are here and we have to worship, no matter how hard it is, and then if you don't worship to how? But we never ask to be here.
0: So your question is why do we have to Because be? of the difficulty that we have to face on earth in worshipping we didn't ask for this so we should the answer the answer would be it's not necessary that you would be punished because if a person as long as they have two traits one is acknowledging your creator which is Imam and secondly Is absence of istikbar, arrogance. Anyone who has these two traits, meaning no arrogance with the Divine Creator, that person will be given ability to worship eventually, even in old age. The people who are punished eventually are those who have istikbar, arrogance with God Almighty. So, your human weakness of being able and not being able to worship, what do you do? If you are relying upon yourself to worship, then you will never be able to worship. So what should you do? Is supplicate to the one who created you. So I'm a human being. I am unable to stop drinking alcohol. I have a bad habit of alcoholism. I can go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I can go to therapy. I can go to clinics. But the habit is not going away. What mistake am I making as a Muslim? I am not going to my Creator. So if every day I allotted myself 10 minutes to supplicate to my Creator, my weakness, I complain to you. Remove this weakness. I guarantee you if someone does that for 40 days, their weakness will go. Why? Because God Almighty will create such a situation within that person that their weakness and their sinning would be removed. Meaning, the situation will change what is that person doing correct turning to the creator and this is the meaning of worship so your weakness of worship is is in fact worship acknowledging that weakness is worship itself
2: So yeah, I think now we'll conclude the event. Uh, firstly, I'd like to thank Asar uh, again for the talk that I gave, and especially the Q&A at the end. I'm sure uh, all of us uh, benefit from it and I do the that uh, we can learn from the Shakespeareans. Now, I'd also like to thank everyone else for attending up, and especially the non-students as well. Uh, I hope you will attend our future events as well, because over next week we'll be Imam uh, for the normal stage, we are with the scope of Islamic. So, uh, it been nice to see you all again. Uh, four dates on our events, you just go on our social media accounts. And it's regular updating, you. you can see all the posters. Uh, so. so, and